Escape the Rat Race with me, Lisa Staker, the Rebellious Coach. This podcast is all about empowering you to break free from the straitjacket of the traditional nine to five and pursue a life of freedom, purpose and fulfillment. If you're feeling stagnant and frustrated in your career and want to feel free and fulfilled, this podcast is here to reignite your passion for work and life by providing you with the resources and insights you need to take the leap and escape the rat race. So get ready to break free and start living life on your own terms. Welcome to this week's episode of Escape the Rat Race. Today I'm going to be interviewing Darren Wheel of Intune PR. And as well as being a master storyteller, Darren is a brilliant example of someone who lives his life on purpose and in line with his values. So let's start with our usual question of, Darren, tell us all about yourself. Yeah, if I may, I'd actually like to start with uh, a little story. And the story is from the Dilbert cartoon series. And in that you have a character called Dogbert, and he appoints a rat, Ratbert, as his PR. And Dilbert, the main character in the cartoon, asks Dogbert, why have you appointed a rat as your PR? And the rat whispers to the dog, and the dog turns around and says, not rat, mink. And uh, if you want a way of expressing what PR can do and the polish it can add, that might be an example. Now, I never add, I never turn a rat into a mink. That's uh, going too far. But making people be seen out there in their best light and in as many channels as possible is really what PR is about. Uh, to answer the actual question, though, I think you're asking about the journey. Uh, in short, uh, I am a, a Bromley-based businessman who was a civil servant. And I had that career for 23 years. Uh, I have a degree in politics, which I've largely avoided the topic of ever since. And um, I was in internal and corporate communications for 12 years in the civil service, uh, working on strategy, planning, communicating change, uh, the biggest and best and most enjoyable part of which was working in what was called the Marsham Street Project, where... Uh, former government buildings, Departure Transport 3184 buildings in central London were knocked down and replaced by the now sixth floor headquarters of the Home Office. And that was about communicating this to 5,000 staff in five buildings, uh, which were going to be repositioned, abandoned, etc. Uh, over a period of about three years, uh, it was a £211 million Pound largest PFI contract in Europe at the time. It ran to time and budget correctly. And it got me into things like new ways of working, IT-enabled change, paperless offices. And it took me onto the top of uh, those 18 floor buildings while they were being demolished, into the depths of the old so uh, social club of the civil service in the former gas works that it sat on, and into the new build and the occupancy of the new building and the transfer. And I was already quite keen in communications by then, but the time I'd finished that, I loved the whole thing completely. A few years later, uh, voluntary redundancy. Uh, literally 2,000 civil servants in communications, the Central Office of Information, was disbanded by the coalition overnight. Uh, and other layers of it across the government, and I'd been in Home Office, Cabinet Office, Government Office of London, uh, were losing their communicators. I joined them. 
And since then, I've been in marketing and defined myself properly at last about three years ago as Intrum PR. And that's I say it's a fascinating kind of journey of how you kind of got here. When you left, um, when you kind of took the redundancy, what were your plans then? Was it always kind of set up on your own, or did you think about kind of going into PR into a different company? I felt, and to a certain extent, I was vindicated in this view that a forty-four-year-old ex-public servant would not be immediately snapped up by the private sector. If you look at the news alone. And this country suffers a lot from bad news. A lot of that uh, is around lazy civil servants, incapable. They die in the private sector. They're useless. All of this sort of thing. And you know what? In some cases, that might even be true. I've had my own lazy periods in the civil service. But I've got enough of an entrepreneurial head that that was never going to really be an obstacle. I did try to go into other businesses. Didn't succeed. And then I really picked up on the marketing thing and went largely, actually, down the editorial side, which underpins a lot of what I do now. I was doing outsourced social media for businesses and that's element of PR for a long time. You obviously now have your kind of your business as it is. What do you most enjoy about what you do at the moment? Freedom and experiences and the ability to make a difference. So you can live, you can work in the civil service, uh, but if you're working on the inward facing, you appreciate what the civil servants do who face the outside world. They are important. And so too are your colleagues in helping them. But if you make a breakthrough for a client and get them into the Sunday Times letters, if you get them onto BBC Radio, local or otherwise, any of that stuff, it really matters to your small and medium-sized business. You feel uh, how it benefits them, and that is a very special thing. And on top of that, I could mention the freedom. The experiences I've had working across various sectors of business, including music. Um, you know, I've been at a recording of Jules Holland and burst into tears when the late Sinead O'Connor came on on that show because I had a client who was the... Um, eldest son of Muddy Waters playing in that show. Uh, I've had at the weekend uh, the Diwali event that Sumit Jamal, local chap, put on at Oakley House, which was fantastic. And I'd got him onto BBC Radio London a few days before. So I had him up at 6.50 in the morning instead of me at networking meetings. And it meant a lot to him, meaning a lot to people in the fledgling state of their businesses is really important. And you, given what you do, I bet you can understand that more than most. Yeah, I mean, it's been able to make a difference to people. And that's why I do what I do. So yes, I can really get that. And I know that passion kind of comes out with everything that you do. Um, there is that kind of, <laughs> always that sense of that, that you genuinely care and want people to succeed and want people to kind of get to the best place they can be. I love what I do. I put on uh, my Intune PR Instagram today, uh, something that went into the best magazine there is, okay? I want to get clients in here, and I will. Ironically, the first was me. So Positive News magazine, which comes out quarterly in this lovely envelope, and which says literally on it, Positive News, good journalism about good things. It makes me feel good to look at the envelope, for goodness sake. I did a tweet ages ago, which I subsequently lost and wondered if it was me at all, but then found yesterday. 
And they occupied the whole of page three with this from Darren, a subscriber. And I'm going to read it out because it's what I'm for. The world is crying out for positive news and for people to be reminded repeatedly that they can create it. And I'm going to name drop someone I was speaking to who isn't a client uh, now. I was speaking to him yesterday. It's Nick Wilson. He is a suicide survivor. Okay. So he attempted his own life, did not succeed, and now he's championing people who can come through the other side and prosper. And he's kind of despairing that a lot of the dialogue around suicide is about the statistics about people who pass away. Uh, it's about what isn't out there. It isn't so much the stories of hope, even though the Baton of Hope campaign exists. And helping people like him, whether I do or not directly, or I do a bit of pro bono with him or anyone else, as I have with other people along the way, and making a difference that gets that positivity out there, it's really appreciated by people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Thank you very much for kind of sharing that, because that is something, you know, you, you see it everywhere within the news. It's always the negative. It's never actually the positive side of it. And I remember during kind of the COVID things, at the end of the news, they tried to put a little positive thing there each time, and it was so forced. It's almost hmm. like people don't want to hear the positive, and there was, you know, horrible time, it, but there were positives that came, came out of it, the community. The, the the helping people and all this kind of theme this kind of uh where we kind of go out and we kind of help people and we help each other and within business helping each other kind of build up our businesses i mean we were talking earlier we're kind of about business communities and how they kind of get together and you know there's always going to be one person who may not be kind of at their best and then they talk with the other business owners and we kind of help build each other up and it is kind of within you know that positive news thing is so important and kind of getting that across, I really do appreciate kind of you sharing that and kind of sharing kind of your messages of kind of the positives that is no. come out of really dark situations. Can I give you um, a couple of examples from something I do? Um, I founded a couple of years ago the Bromley Buzz podcast, which is a community podcast based in the borough of Bromley, champions it beyond Bromley, and it's all about positives and helps join up people and stories here. And uh, the Orpington MP, Gareth Bacon, has called us relentlessly positive, which is a marvellous compliment. Uh, and along the way, while I've been doing it, there's two favourite interviews for me. My co-presenter is Zenat Narani, the um, clarity coach, as she's now described. And uh, her, she has her own favourites. But my two, I think a joint one for both of us, Johannes Radebi, who is appearing at the Churchill Theatre, the dancer off Strictly Come Dancing. He is just the loveliest man to speak to. That's one. But the other one, talking of positives, uh, and he's now passed away, the late Ziggy Shipper. Interviewed him. He was down at the Biggin Hill Memorial Museum, and uh, he was talking about his experiences as a Holocaust survivor. And he had a simple message, which once he'd come to terms with talking about his experience at all, he was putting out there. And I've recorded it for the podcast and I recycle it every so often. And it's simple. It's don't hate. I think that's a brilliant message, particularly in the time that we have at the moment with everything that's going on in the world. And it's just uh, if someone can be come out of that situation and still say don't hate, it's so powerful. Um, well, it means a lot to me. I, I think the the big thing about starting up your own business, whether it's 
a little thing you're running from the bedroom, the thing that becomes a side hustle, the thing that you start to do in flexible workspaces, as the ones in Bromley, Newman Contingent, etc., um, Ironworks in Sheerness, which I'm helping with a bit of publicity at the moment, any of these, and they journey up and up and up. So they become tomorrow's Richard Branson's. It's the freedom to do what you love. And if you're really lucky and you're not the 80% of businesses that go bust in your first year or something like that, that is the figure, but you can go beyond it and you can really prosper, you end up doing what you love for life. And what's not to like about that? Yeah, it, it is that total, rather than working to get a pension, working to kind of just kind of get to the end. I can imagine in civil service, it's very much kind of like, yeah, working to get kind of get to the whatever it is now, 67 or whatever, just to be able to kind of get a thing at the end, just to get on that treadmill, that kind of, what well, I kind of could do the rat race, that treadmill of just keep going. You're actually doing something that you love and you can make a difference to other people with whatever you do, whichever business you do, whether you're in PR, coaching, or kind of selling journals to people or you know any sort of service or product, you're making a difference to people's lives. And if you can enjoy yourself while doing it, it kind of comes out to the people then yeah, actually kind of see it will it will make a difference in in kind of how you're received if you're doing something that you really enjoy. And one of the things about life is that it's a search for like-minded people, people you who can become your friends. And in the case of people in business, um, are both your friends and are people you can work with your tribe. Mm. So in my case, uh, they include uh, Sarah Marsh Collins of Babel Monkey Digital Marketing. We're working together a lot. And digital marketing and PR, copywriting, which she does as well, very much hand in hand. Uh, Zenat Narani, we founded the Let's Talk Better campaign together to try to make a difference in conversations at all kinds of levels. Um, Chandra Sharma, uh, uh, an assiduous and very respected and award-winning local networker. Um, the list goes on. There are, there is a, I keep using the word joy in this. There is such a joy to finding that tribe, finding people you love. It's definitely not all about money because part of the freedom is to make mistakes, to go through periods of financial crisis, uh, and to, even while you're amid that, some of the time, still help um, people for nothing because you love what they do. Uh, and some people will regard this as a rather stupid thing to do. And in fact, I've had that dialogue in my own life. But as many a person proves, we don't know long, how long we're here. And I want to go to my grave whenever that comes along, feeling good about things. Yeah, and it might be that you're doing something, you know, you're helping someone out now, even though kind of you're, you're in crisis yourself, or you, you know, you're not getting the income in yourself, but you don't know when that will be turned around. And then you, you know, something that could come out of that helping, which could be a future income stream for you. So it is, it is all about kind of those relationships. You, you don't know what's going to happen. And that leads me to kind of the other question that I have for you. And say, you've mentioned there kind of about kind of businesses failing. It's not always easy in business. What is it that you find most difficult about being in business for yourself? I think actually the most difficult thing is the thing that is in common with your personal life because you're not brought up to deal with this, um, often by parents, certainly by school and onwards. It's finding your identity. It's finding the values that really mean things to you 
and that can connect with other people, which is important. It's finding out what you really stand for and learning to stick by it. Uh, it's learning to have a core of stability and not to succumb to imposter syndrome and things like that that and mean that you end up for expediency doing things you really shouldn't be doing and you have your soul drained in so doing. Uh, and on top of that is the structures, the processes you need in order to succeed. And uh, a lot of people, including me, struggle with those things in particular. Uh, and my particular bugbear is uh, accounts. I run shrieking from accounts, but I know plenty of people Literally, in the last week, I've spoken to two. They're kind of ideal clients. They say, I hate writing. Whoopee! I love people who hate writing. So, yeah, it, it is really about your identity, articulating that and standing by it and hoping that it can be the foundation of your business. Yeah, no, it is so true. I mean, it's something that I've found over the last couple of years, actually kind of being authentic to myself and being the person that I want to be. And I talk to people now who are back in corporate and I, I just couldn't go back there because it, my values, my identity doesn't doesn't fit with that world. And and that's fine. And I'm very happy with that. And there's people out there that it it who do fit with that world. And that is absolutely fine for them as well. So it's being kind of true to yourself. And I really kind of like the way you're kind of saying about things you don't like. I mean, it counts and things. I'm a numbers person. I'm absolutely fine with it. It's the words I struggle with. And it is where those kind of relationships kind of can build within business and actually being aware of your strengths and aware of your weaknesses and where you do have something you don't know, because we go in to be business owners from you know, whether it's a civil service, um, and I was from an insurance company, we'll, we have certain skills. And then suddenly we have to have these myriad of hats that we have to wear. And we can't do them all. And it's just being aware of the bits we can't do and finding help for those bits. Because you you do need to do the whole package to be a business owner, because otherwise you will be part of the people who do fail. Mm. So actually kind of identifying the bits that you're not, your strengths, and either learning to do them or finding someone to help you with them. And that's where those connections with business really kind of come into it and kind of, you know, finding getting those contacts with people that can kind of fill in the gaps that you don't have yourself. And eventually you will learn those things. And when you're kind of new to business, there will be loads of stuff that you don't know. And then you kind of you work with it one, two, three years. And so you build up that knowledge exactly you did when you started work. You do need to kind of build and learn. And yeah, it, it is quite hard at the beginning to actually admit that actually you don't know things because you've probably come from an environment where you're an expert. Well, I know people in business who have been an accidental success for 20 years mm. and other periods. The problem with that is that, let's say, and one of the examples was a, a chap who uh, owned a garage that I knew. Uh, and there are lots of others like him. Because there is a demand for his service, he got along lovely for years. I had a website which I rewrote, which was not great. Uh, it was terrible to start with, and it was all right by the time I'd finished, but it still wasn't super-duper. Um, he did a bit of um, corporate social responsibility, helping local charities and so on, which was lovely. But uh, And a, a Christmas card and some cartoons and things with a local artist. But like so many others, the marketing was somewhat one-dimensional, so the social media was a bit limited or the advertising in magazines was a bit limited, the networking was a bit limited. And you do get businesses that, from those options amongst others, rely on one and stick with the one because they think it's been working. 
And then they find their clients are draining and draining and draining away over time because all their competitors have caught up with the things that they're not doing or the world has changed. And as a PR and a marketing person, I advise people in the same way that diversifying your products and having a range of clients so that you're not vulnerable when something drops down. The same thing is true of the marketing and of the PR. Spread the effort, do digital, do print, do networking, do every dimension that there is. One of the most frustrating things for me as a writer, the amount of times I go and see a well-written, well-presented website by a business that is clearly doing brilliantly, and their blog was last published in 2013. And they think that that is not uh, actually a trap door to their business, where somebody will go and look at that bit for two minutes and think, well, if they don't care about their own blog, why would they care about me as a customer? They will have business drained. Or the other people who they put publish a telephone number, you ring the number, they don't have an answering machine thing going on, even as something as old school as that. And the number rings and rings and rings. How many clients are those people losing? Marketing is a very holistic, complete thing. And the way that um, businesses out there often regard it as a mono-activity. And once I've got something sorted or I've delegated it to someone else who I'm not even holding accountable for doing anything, so I'm all right, Jack, the number of those out there is terrible. So I'm saying in my positive light, businesses, you can do better. Don't do get like that and wonder why on earth you're failing. Brilliant advice. And looking back, say you've been kind of in business for a number of years now, if you could get into the time machine and go back to the person who kind of first left the civil service and started up on their own, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, Right. I mentioned that amongst my solicitors, rules, companies, estate agents and so on, um, that I've worked with musicians as well. So I've done tours of um, rock and blues bands from overseas, their PR, album releases. Uh, I'm going to not use the precise language of Michael Caton, who, when I've been doing music journalism, which I've done some of, I asked him the classic question, what advice would you give your 16-year-old self? To which he replied, wake the up. And I thought, well, that's not much of an answer. So I asked it again, what would you advise would you give your 16-year-old self? And he repeated the answer, you know, wake the up. Uh, And actually, years on, I get it. I get it slightly differently, though. Uh, I know a multi-qualified therapist, Susie K. Brooks, who's based out in Kent, does some therapies I've never met before and are fantastic for trauma. But on the non-trauma side, she put me uh, across a book by Susan Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, uh, which she met, as it were, when she was age 25. And possibly one of the greatest regrets of my life is I didn't meet it when I was a teenager. As I was looking at when it was published, and it might have been around then, actually. And Feel the Fear and doing it, Do It Anyway and reading her tools and the stuff about identity, about the stuff about not letting other people control and abuse you and do coercive control and things like that, which is a term which has cropped up since. It applies equally in business. There's a a book out there um, 
self-employed person's handbook or something similar. I think it came out of um, Enterprise Nation. Anyway, I've got it listed somewhere. I can share it on social if, you, if people would like, and I probably will. But uh, in that, there's a chapter on pricing. And again, feel the fear and do it anyway. A lot of business people operate under the fear of refusal, particularly if they're not doing very well, and they get bargained down to a terribly low margin or even a loss, and they lose their own value in the process. So part of feel, feel the fear and do it anyway is not to let your clients be part of your problem like that as well. So that's a secondary piece of advice I'd offer. Yeah, I, that 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 book has helped a lot of people now. I, I love it myself, and I, I use bits from it all the time, that kind of the feeling, the fear, and it is what holds most of us back from doing doing what we love you know people who stay in corporate and don't going to make the jump to doing their own business or even just making the smallest chains it's that fear of change and to kind of feel that fear and do it anyway it's it's a brilliant advice thank you ever so much for being with us that today darren i just want to can you give you the opportunity to share a little bit about what you do and where people can find you uh, i do effectively three things um the overall umbrella is i raise awareness for individuals, businesses, organisations, charities, you name it. I do that by PR. In other words, media relations, trying to get people into whatever form of media it is, from influencers to in print to radio, etc. The second one is I write. Uh, Enterprise Nation has blessed them, called me a master storyteller with a background in journalism. Testimonials are so good people. And... If you have really great writing in your blogs, in your websites, in your press releases, behind your campaigns, it makes such a difference. And finally, another thing that makes a massive difference, whatever business you are, if you can identify what your special value is or something you really stand for and something which is a sign of its times or you can lead and disrupt with, you can use that as the hook for everything else that you engage with. And I would call that a campaign. So I've devised campaigns or things that amount to them from one which has led in music directly to the support of Jules Holland uh, in Let's Talk Better with Zenat Narani, which I do. Uh, we are beloved of some very senior journalist out there and got called a beautiful campaign by the BBC London broadcaster, Catherine Melandry. And there are a number of other examples I could offer. And that is part of the power of uh, PR. And yes, those are the three things I hang my hat on and sum up under the awareness umbrella. And as for getting hold of me, Intune PR is the name of the website, is a .co.uk. I am reluctantly and not very well on Facebook. I'm much better on uh, LinkedIn, probably best of all, uh, where you can find me, Darren Wheel, W-E-A-L-E, and uh, Instagram, and I love Twitter. And by the way, a tip to anyone that's listening, and I offer a monitoring service for this anyway, so you don't have to. But if you look up um, PR request with a hashtag or hashtag journal request, you can often pick up things from journalists asking for specific subjects. But one of the reasons to use a PR is because we know how to talk to journalists and you have to be flipping quick because usually other people steam on in there. Brilliant. Thank you, Darren. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, for you to, thank you very much for sharing all your stories. We'll make sure all those kind of links and your recommendations go up in the show notes. So that's it for today's episode of Escape the Rat Race, and we shall see you next time. 
It's always a great pleasure to have guests on the show, and Darren was no exception to this. And what really kind of stood out from his um, business history and his life was his authenticity. I don't know whether you felt this as well, but that kind of genuine sense that he cared. And I think the quote, I want to go to my grave feeling good about myself, really sums it up that he feels that he wants to be here to do genuine good And that's something that I really want you to kind of learn from this, that having a career is not all about just bringing home the money. It is that feeling of actually that purpose in life. And if you want to kind of feel that purpose in life and want to change things for the better, then do get in touch using the contact details in the show notes. And together, I can help you escape the rat race and to live your life on purpose. We're going to be taking a break from the podcast next week. There won't be an episode, but we'll be back the first week of January with a small review of 2023, but more of a look forward to the excitement of 2024. Have a fantastic Christmas and New Year, and I see you in January. That's all for today's episode of Escape the Rat Race. I hope you found it helpful and inspiring and it has given you some ideas for how you can start taking action towards escaping the rat race to a life of freedom, purpose and fulfilment. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on your favourite platform. And if you have any questions, comments or feedback, feel free to reach out to me using the contact details in the notes to the podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Staker. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time on Escape the Rat Race.